Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Friday, June 9th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Melissa Topshire with today's news stories. A knifeman injures several in the French Alps. Trump is under criminal investigation for retaining classified documents. Conservative tension puts the U.S. House on pause until next week. Britain announces plans to host the first global AI safety summit. Cuba reportedly agrees to host a secret PRC spy base. Japan rules banning same-sex marriage is at odds with the Constitution. California's governor proposes a constitutional amendment on gun control. Edward Snowden warns 2013 surveillance was child's play compared to today. Canadian wildfires place tens of millions under air quality alerts. And Costa Rica records the first virgin birth in a crocodile. In our first story, a knifeman injures several children in the French Alps. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, BBC News, France 24, Le Monde, The Independent, and Al Jazeera. Two adults, including a 70-year-old man and four toddlers, aged from 22 months to three years, were wounded in a stabbing attack on Thursday morning in a playground near the French alpine town of Ancy's famous lake. The children are now reportedly in stable condition, while one of the adults remains critically injured. Footage posted online and the witness's account indicate that the attacker, wearing dark glasses and a blue scarf covering his head, ran around the park brandishing a knife and attacking people at random before he was shot by police. The suspect who was arrested at the scene is reportedly a Syrian in his 30s who was granted refugee status in Sweden in April and had previously applied for asylum in France last November, according to the French Prime Minister Elizabeth Bourne. Local prosecutor Lene Bonet-Matisse stated that the 31-year-old suspect had no apparent terrorist motive, with Interior Minister Gerald Darmanin telling the French TF1 News that the Syrian refugee had Christian religious insignia upon him. Le Parquier Park, where the attack took place, is usually a calm place popular with tourists that visit Ansi a quiet city of 135,000 people that lies south of Geneva, Switzerland, due to its views of Lake Ansee and the mountains. Thanks for those tragic facts, Melissa. The Spectator brings us a right narrative spin. This stabbing attack is the latest in a succession of hideous crimes that have been shocking France, including the rape and murder of a Parisian girl last year and the killing of three Christians at a Nice church in 2020. While most perpetrators share the same profile, foreigners exploiting the country's weak border control, the government has so far failed to make good on the promise to propose a tougher immigration bill. Here's the left narrative from Yahoo News UK. While authorities have found no indication that this attack was terrorist-driven, the far right has swiftly used this appalling incident to peddle anti-immigration and anti-refugee messages, as police publicized the suspect was a Syrian national with legal refugee status. It is shameful that the attack carried out by a likely mentally disturbed individual is being seized on to smear millions of refugees around the world. And from time to time, we have statistics-based nerd narratives brought to us by the Metaculous Prediction community. This one says there's a 13% chance that Emmanuel Macron will cease being president of France before the year 2027. 
Trump is under criminal investigation for retaining classified documents. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, USA Today, Daily Mail, New York Times, and Independent. Federal prosecutors reportedly sent a letter to former U.S. President Donald Trump's lawyers last week informing them that he's the target of a criminal investigation for his handling of classified documents at his Mar-a-Lago home, people familiar with the matter reported Wednesday. The lawyers then reportedly met Monday with special counsel Jack Smith, who's leading the investigation, where they allegedly asked prosecutors not to charge Trump. Trump, responding via his Truth Social website, denied he was told he's going to be indicted and claimed he's done nothing wrong. The news comes at the same time it was reported that a grand jury in Florida has also been investigating Trump's possession of classified documents. The Florida grand jury heard witnesses Wednesday, including former Trump spokesperson Taylor Budowich. The investigation isn't just about Trump's possession of classified documents after his presidency, but his alleged refusal to return them when requested. The FBI issued a subpoena for any materials in Trump's possession last year. Those were the facts, and here are the narrative spins. We'll begin with a Democratic narrative from MSNBC. If the meeting between Trump's lawyers and the federal prosecutors had gone well, then the former president wouldn't have followed it with one of his online tantrums. Clearly, this investigation, now with two known grand juries, is closing in on Trump, and he knows it. And the pro-Trump narrative comes from PJ Media. The U.S. isn't a banana republic yet, but if federal prosecutors go forward with these indictments, it'll be the biggest case of election interference in U.S. history. Joe Biden and his corrupt DOJ are clearly abusing their power to target Trump in an effort to sideline his top rival for 2024. And we have another nerd narrative from the Metaculous Prediction community saying there's an 80% chance that Trump will be indicted for obstruction of justice before 2026. Got a good banana recipe. Tell um, me more. You just freeze a banana and then you put it in a blender. Oh, you're talking about banana swirl from Daniel Tiger. That's right. <laughs> Conservative tension puts the U.S. House on pause. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Sky News, The Hill, NBC, The Guardian, and Yahoo News. U.S. House of Representatives Speaker Kevin McCarthy has announced that all voting in the congressional chamber will be postponed until next week amid disagreements between Republicans and hardline members of their party. On Tuesday, members of the House Freedom Caucus, an ultra-conservative faction of the Republican Party, voted alongside Democrats to block two bills that would prevent the federal government from placing new regulations on gas stoves. The blocking of a procedural rule vote followed recent criticism by members of the caucus over the debt limit deal reached by McCarthy and President Joe Biden, prompting the House to go into recess for most of Wednesday. The failure of the procedural vote to pass the floor was the first of its kind since 2002, with a successful rule vote necessary for further Republican bills to advance. McCarthy told reporters that, consequently, the House was going to have to make up our work next week. While GOP Representative Steve Womack criticized the Freedom Caucus members' move, fellow Republican Representative Ken Buck claimed McCarthy violated a January agreement made with the caucus that allowed McCarthy to assume the role. It's not clear which aspects of the January agreement members of the caucus believe McCarthy to have violated, with closed-door negotiations between the two still ongoing. 
The speaker has stated that he will listen to the members who are pivotal to Republicans keeping a 222 to 213 chamber majority. Thanks for those facts, Melissa. We have a conservative narrative spin from Daily Caller. The House Freedom Caucus fully understands the danger of the Biden administration, which has only been heightened by McCarthy's disastrous debt limit agreement. The deal that McCarthy agreed to in January with House Republicans must be honored, and caucus members must remain on the offensive and do whatever is necessary to force him to confront Democrats' reckless policies. And here's the Republican narrative from Fox News. The Freedom Caucus, still bitter about the debt deal that averted disaster, is exacting revenge by holding the chamber's procedural process hostage. While its concerns are legitimate, the so-called remedy it's employing will only make things worse. While a taxing task under McCarthy's leadership, the GOP will be reconciled. And we have another political narrative, this time the Democratic spin from American Independent. The tension within the Republican Party is only the latest example of Republican disarray. Since winning their majority in the House, Republicans have struggled to govern. A stark contrast to the success of former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Democrats alongside the Biden administration in recent years. The ultra-conservative MAGA faction of the GOP still holds tremendous sway over the moderates, which means the country is still threatened by its fringe ideology. And the nerds at Metaculus have a spin as well, saying there's a 72% chance that Kevin McCarthy will remain Speaker of the House by January 2024. It does seem like moderate Republicans and moderate Democrats are aligned on a lot more things than they could, you know. Maybe this is like a, maybe this is like a Billy Crystal, Meg Ryan situation, right? Mm. You know, really, if they turn around and they've been fighting all along, but really they were meant to be together. Yeah, I'll have what Mitch McConnell's having. Britain to host the first global AI safety summit. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by Reuters, The Telegraph, Politico, Bloomberg, Independent, and Financial Times. The UK government said it would host the first global summit on the risks of artificial intelligence, including frontier systems, this fall to discuss security measures as part of an internationally coordinated approach. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak was set to discuss the initiative during a meeting with U.S. President Joe Biden on Thursday, where he reportedly planned to advocate for creating a new London-headquartered global AI watchdog similar to the International Atomic Energy Agency. While London didn't disclose which countries or companies will be invited to the talks, the Prime Minister's spokesman said the summit aims to bring together like-minded nations, but isn't intended to counter China and Russia. According to Downing Street, 50,000 people are employed in the British AI sector, which is the third largest after the U.S. and China, and adds $4.6 billion annually to the economy, thus putting the U.K. in a position to lead the international AI debate. Ahead of Sunak's trip to the U.S., his AI advisor, Matt Clifford, urged global regulation of AI producers, warning that the technology could become so powerful within two years that it could potentially kill many humans. During Sunak's visit to Washington, the two leaders were also set to discuss expanding economic security ties in competition with China in key sectors, such as critical minerals, as well as long-term military support to Ukraine. Thank you, Scott, for those facts, and we'll start this round of spins with a narrative A from the Financial Times. AI offers huge opportunities and benefits for individuals and the global economy, but also creates major risks 
that threaten the very existence of humanity. London's AI policy provides a balanced regulatory basis to address short-term and potentially existential long-term risks halfway between the EU and U.S. regulatory frameworks. AI can only be addressed globally, and given its leading role, London is poised to play a crucial part in its oversight. Narrative B comes from the conversation. Sunak's push to establish the UK as a central actor in AI regulation is a calculated move aimed at catching up with the US and China and boosting the country's tech sector. Moreover, the UK's innovation-friendly AI white paper is both too lax and already outdated to serve as a template for combating existential AI threats, a widespread concern in the field. Sunak's Global AI Summit is nothing more than an opportunistic intervention to strategically position the UK in the rapidly growing global AI sector. And there's a narrative C from Global Times. Sunak's trip to Washington to seek the U.S.'s blessing for his Global AI Summit once again underscores the unequal relationship between the two countries. And while Sunak echoes the mainstream wisdom that AI poses an existential threat and embraces Washington's anti-China strategy, the British economy is in decline, with London having no solution to the economic malaise. What Britain needs more urgently than an AI summit is to improve its industrial competitiveness and strategic independence. And we have a nerd narrative from the forecasting community at Metaculus. They predict a 50% chance that there will be a positive transition to a world with radically smarter-than-human artificial intelligence. I was distracted through a lot of those facts looking at this picture of this very smart uh, robot doing calculus. I, I imagine that's that's just what it, it's thinking, is yeah. all this calculus. And then I imagined it ripping my arms off for no yeah. reason. And then I imagined, yeah. like, well, then what if like when I die I could come back as a robot? And then maybe that's how we kind of all evolve into the next world is that humanity's gone, but we're in the robots. Or maybe that robot that ripped your arm off is actually you. It's trying to send a message to you. You're trying to send a message to yourself somehow. Man, that movie Tenet sucked. God. In our next story, Cuba will host a secret PRC spy based focused on the U.S., Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Wall Street Journal, The Daily Caller, The Telegraph, Politico, Business Insider, and Bloomberg. The Wall Street Journal on Thursday reported, citing U.S. officials familiar with highly classified intelligence, that China and Cuba have secretly agreed to build an electronic eavesdropping facility on the Caribbean island in another geopolitical challenge by Beijing to the U.S., The PRC allegedly offered Havana several billion dollars to host the spy base, to which the two countries have agreed in principle. It will reportedly focus on gathering electronic communications, or signals intelligence, from throughout the southeastern U.S., where many U.S. military bases are located. This comes as the Biden administration has recently tried to mend relations with China after the alleged spy balloon incident. Following the covert visit to the PRC by CIA Director Bill Burns last week, U.S. Secretary of State Blinken is expected to visit Beijing later in June. Some lawmakers, however, believe Biden offering an olive branch to Beijing is a bad idea, with Representative Mike Waltz, Republican of Florida, a member of both the House Intelligence and Armed Services Committees, saying Thursday that China is executing the Soviet Union's playbook and that Blinken should cancel his trip. 
During the Cold War, the Soviet Union operated a large electronic and signals intelligence facility in Lourdes just outside Havana, which Moscow maintained operational until 2001. The White House, however, cast doubt on the reported China-Cuba spying deal, with National Security Council spokesman John Kirby stating that the press report is not accurate. The New York Times brings us an anti-China narrative. Though the U.S. has been trying to mend ties with China following months of strained relations, the predicted thaw has been obstructed as Beijing adopts a tougher stance concerning tech export controls and demands the dropping of sanctions imposed on its officials and companies. If China remains intransigent, pushing to set its own terms to re-engage with the U.S., cooling tensions will be very difficult. The Global Times brings us the pro-China narrative. While Washington blames Beijing for not engaging in superficial interactions allegedly intended to restore bilateral communications, its actions reveal that the U.S. keeps harming Chinese interests in the South China Sea and the Taiwan Straits. If the U.S. wants to have a meaningful dialogue, it must take practical measures to build trust. And another nerd narrative comes from Metaculus. They say there's a 17% chance there will be a U.S.-China war by 2035. Uh, nice job on the secret base, guys. Everyone knows about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah wait a minute now. I feel like if you announce that you're going to have a secret base, I mean, that sounds like a little kid thing to do. Like, it just, it's just a weird, like, right. my kids have, like, various lairs around the house that are secrets, but they tell me about them, so. It's a secret, so you can't come in and see right. what's there. I, right, because what good is a secret if no one knows that you're in on it. Right. Yeah. The the classic uh, riddle, uh, you'll long to share me, but if you do, I'll be gone. And the answer is a secret. Japan rules a same-sex union ban is at odds with the Constitution. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Barron's, Guardian, Nikkei Asia, ABC News, Japan Today, and Al Jazeera. On Thursday, the Fukuoka District Court in southern Japan said the ban on same-sex marriage presents the country with an unconstitutional situation. Falling short of stating the ban was unconstitutional, the court ruled that Japan's marriage laws violate a section of the Constitution's Article 24 that refers to individual dignity and equality of the sexes. In a case brought by three same-sex couples against the state, the judge said that to ensure same-sex couples' dignity is respected, various considerations are necessary, including Japan's same-sex partnership system. However, the court rejected the plaintiff's demands the government pay 1 million yen, about $7,000, each in damages for denying them the right to marry. The ruling comes as Japan's parliament is mulling legislation on promoting understanding of LGBTQ rights, saying unjust discrimination towards sexual minorities must stop. Though Japan is the only G7 nation yet to recognize same-sex unions legally, more than 300 municipalities, including Tokyo, offer some of the same benefits to same-sex couples as married ones. Those are the facts, and we'll begin this round of spins with Narrative A from Reuters. Not allowing same-sex marriage is unconstitutional, period. The latest ruling sends a strong message and should be enough to pressure the government to change the law which violates same-sex couples' fundamental rights by denying them legal protection. This ruling may be a step forward, but Japan's situation is still disappointing. And the morning sun brings us narrative B. The ban on same-sex marriage is keeping with the Constitution, which guarantees heterosexual couples the right to marry under Article 24. 
Allowing same-sex couples to marry legally would fundamentally change Japanese society and values, which is why the government must avoid making hasty decisions regarding gender equality and sexual diversity. California Governor Newsom proposes a constitutional amendment for gun control. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Hill, Politico, NBC Bay Area, and ABC7 San Francisco. In a statement released on Thursday, California Governor Gavin Newsom announced a proposal to amend the U.S. Constitution in order to enshrine four gun control measures. The proposal, which would be America's 28th Amendment to the Constitution if passed, would raise the minimum age to buy a firearm to 21, mandate universal background checks, ban assault rifles, and institute a waiting period for all gun purchases. Newsom says this can be done while still leaving the Second Amendment intact. Newsom has said an amendment would help address despair surrounding gun violence in America by bypassing political gridlock. The proposed initiative will be spearheaded by his Campaign for Democracy PAC and financed with money left over from his 2022 gubernatorial campaign. A constitutional amendment may be proposed by a two-thirds congressional vote or through a constitutional convention, the latter of which is the route Newsom is supporting. Two-thirds of the states would have to agree to convention, where three-quarters of them would then need to vote in favor of the proposal in order for it to be adopted. No amendment has ever been adopted via a convention. Newsom has made gun control a centerpiece of his governorship, despite recent court rulings that have scaled back the power of states to enact gun control measures nationwide. He asserts no interest in running for president, but has been speculated to be a candidate in the future. Vanity Fair brings us the Democratic narrative. While a new amendment is a long-shot bid, Newsom should be applauded for trying to shift the national conversation toward finding solutions for gun violence. In the midst of this explosion of gun violence, it's time we are proactive and finally take a real step to end the despair and gridlock surrounding gun violence. Too many people have died waiting for an answer to this crisis. It's time to fight back. Here's the Republican narrative from the Washington Examiner. An attention-hungry Newsom is launching a doomed campaign for proposals that are going to do little to actually stop gun violence. The empirical evidence suggests that just about every one of the proposals will do nothing to reduce violence and will only serve to frustrate law-abiding citizens in exercising their right to self-defense. We ought to be looking for real solutions to gun crime, not rehashing discredited ideas. Newsom would be better served focused on governing his home state rather than chasing woke national fantasies. And another nerd narrative from Metaculus. This one says there is a 0.5% chance that the Second Amendment, as written and in force on December 13, 2018, will be successfully amended or repealed before January 1, 2025. Edward Snowden says 2013 surveillance is child's play compared to today. Here are the facts as agreed upon by WION News, Euro Weekly News, and The Guardian. In an interview conducted on the 10th anniversary of Edward Snowden's revelations about mass surveillance by the U.S. National Security Agency, the whistleblower said government capabilities for surveillance in 2013 are child's play compared to today. Expressing concern about how enormously influential technology has become, Snowden said artificial intelligence, commercial security cameras, and facial recognition have increased threats to privacy. 
But Snowden said the widespread adoption of end-to-end encryption by technology companies, which he says was a pipe dream in 2013, is a positive development. Snowden says he has no regrets over his disclosures, and the political fight against surveillance is something that will continue for the rest of our lives and our children's lives and beyond. In 2013, Snowden leaked classified documents that revealed the U.S. and other Western nations were indiscriminately collecting the data of private individuals. He later fled to Russia after being charged under the U.S. Espionage Act. Thanks, Scott, for those facts. And here's the establishment critical narrative from The Guardian. Snowden is a hero who sacrificed everything to expose illegal, warrantless surveillance that targeted citizens around the globe. Ten years on, he's still fighting for what's right, and we ought to heed his warning about the potential for even more intrusive surveillance from new technologies, lest his sacrifices be in vain. And the pro-establishment narrative comes from AFP. The media valorization of Snowden as a brave crusader for truth hides a much more complicated picture. Snowden's leaks were reckless, and they severely damaged the intelligence capabilities of Western nations in their fight against terrorism. By refusing to use proper whistleblower channels, Snowden made himself little more than a common criminal. It's time he stops drumming up fear. I feel like the very existence of proper whistleblower channels means that that's probably not the way you should blow the whistle, right? Right, right. I think, yeah, I think that was most of the controversy, right, was how he leaked the information. I remember the big twist in the uh, that Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie that when he was Edward Snowden, the big twist, which I think is actually the big twist in real life, was that we're only going to surveil known terrorists. Okay, that, that makes sense. Good. And of course, we have to surveil the people associated with the known terrorists. Okay. And then, of course, we have to go one step further and surveil the people who are associated with those associates. And it turns out that's everybody. If you if you if you extrapolate it out that far, that's every, that's like 98 percent right. of everyone. So, right. You so go. you kind of get the logic. But, yeah, then there should be a line somewhere. Yeah. 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 Canada wildfires place tens of millions under air quality alerts. Hear the facts as agreed upon by The Star, The Guardian, NPR Online News, NBC, and Fox News. As hundreds of wildfires rip across Canada, tens of millions of people in North America were met with ensuing smoke, with both Toronto and New York briefly ranking among the metro areas with the worst air quality in the world between Tuesday and Wednesday. As of Tuesday afternoon, 228 of Canada's 415 active fires were deemed out of control. Over 2,200 fires have burned more than 3.3 million hectares, about 8.1 million acres of land. This is an increase in the 10-year average of roughly 1,600 fires burning around 254,000 hectares. While 26,000 Canadians remain evacuated from their homes, the neighboring U.S. EPA and state officials in New England have predicted smoke will linger for a few days. In total, around 128 million Americans have been placed under air quality warnings as of Wednesday evening, with poor air quality reported across 18 states. With the conditions expected to continue into the weekend, Officials have advised millions of people to don masks as New York is set to distribute 1 million N95 masks to residents starting on Thursday. Wildfire smoke particles are themselves too small to see, but they become visible when levels are high. 
Air particles can cause health problems ranging from eye and respiratory tract irritation to reduced lung function, bronchitis, exacerbation of asthma, and heart failure. Thanks for those facts, Melissa. We have Narrative A from Al Jazeera. If millions of acres of land burning to the ground and thousands of people being forced to evacuate weren't evidence enough, maybe the fact that millions of people across North America are inhaling smoke right now will show how dangerous climate change is. As the warming atmosphere dries out our land and ignites more and more wildfires, air quality will only deteriorate and people's physical health will follow suit. NBC News brings us Narrative B. While climate change is likely a factor in these wildfires, the best way to deal with this is to design preventative measures to shrink their scope as much as possible. One potential solution is to turn dead trees into biomass energy before they ignite. Governments should invest in turning these trees into wood chips, which besides preventing future fires, can also be burned and used to produce heat and electricity. I'm living this story right now. Oh, that's right. Gosh, it's just so weird that it's over there and not over here. This feel kind of seasonal affective disorder, coffee and Canadian wildfires. That's your thing. Yeah, Yeah. I feel a little bit betrayed. Like, where's our smoke? I mean, we're getting a tiny bit of haze, but that's it. Yeah, it's like I I was driving on the New Jersey Turnpike, you know, past New York City today and you couldn't see New York City. I don't really care as much i'm like okay yeah i don't want i wouldn't want to breathe that if i were on the east coast but it's like meh what am i missing look looking at right now it's not snow-capped mountains and you know oh. pristine waters and oh i see so you're gonna go inside so anyway right right there's nothing to see here anyway so nothing just to see here it's just a little west coast elitism yeah, <laughs> just look at a brown cloud that's fine yep <laughs> It really is brown, too. Like, it's just a brown cloud. And news from Costa Rica. The first crocodile virgin birth is recorded. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Independent, The Telegraph, Sky News, The Guardian, and BBC News. A crocodile has produced eggs despite the lack of a male mate in a very rare reproductive strategy known as falcatative parthenogenesis, or FP. The discovery by scientists was published Wednesday in the journal Biology Letters. The first recorded instance of a so-called virgin birth among crocodiles occurred at a Costa Rican zoo, where a fully formed fetus was found inside one of several eggs laid in 2018 by an 18-year-old female. It was 99.9% genetically identical to its mother. Although seven of the eggs were incubated by the park, none of them hatched. One, however, developed and contained a stillborn crocodile fetus. Despite parthenogenesis previously being recorded in birds, lizards, snakes, and fish, it hasn't before been documented in crocodiles. FP research specialists behind the study said it suggested virgin births could be occurring in crocodiles without anyone noticing. The discovery, according to researchers, suggests that evolutionary ancestors, including dinosaurs, might have been able to reproduce through FP, which happens under challenging conditions, such as when environmental stress or an absence of mating partners threatens a species. Dr. Warren Booth of Virginia Tech in the U.S. has said that the commonality of FP across so many different species points to the reproductive mechanism being a very ancient trait that has been inherited throughout the ages. Scott, thanks for the facts on that incredible story. Here's the narrative A spin from The Economist. 
This is a huge step forward for scientific discovery. Thanks to the research conducted in a Costa Rican zoo, more evidence has come to light for the commonality of FP across a broad range of species descended from dinosaurs. This development is an exciting moment for evolutionary biologists that could precipitate further documentation of the reproductive mechanism in reptiles such as turtles and chameleons. And Narrative B comes from the New York Times. Despite the orthodox perception of zoos as protecting and preserving exotic and under-threat species, the observation of FP in a crocodile kept in isolation for so many years demonstrates the stresses artificially confining animals can provoke. It's unnatural for animals to spend their lives in captivity, as, and this latest discovery should raise the question of whether these types of institutions should even exist. Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Friday, June 9th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download our app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Melissa Topshire, inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News. Improve the News.